My name is Dan Delgado, and I'm a podcaster. I host and produce a narrative podcast about film history called The Industry. On that show, each episode, I do a deep dive into what I consider overlooked movie history. But for this podcast, I'm doing something I haven't exactly done before. This podcast will be looking at one movie, my favorite movie, Let It Ride, one scene at a time. Each episode will feature me and a different guest sitting in the jockey club talking about one scene. Why Let It Ride, a movie that was barely noticed when it was released in August of 1989 and very quietly exited theaters just a couple of weeks later, a movie that is sitting with a whopping 27% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you already know. This movie is fun, fast, and absolutely hilarious. Richard Dreyfuss is at his comedic best, and director Joe Pitka, best known for making commercials, music videos, and Space Jam, keeps everything moving at a frenetic pace with a visual flair. Hey, it even made Bill Hader's list of comedy movies that every comedy writer should see. But before I head up the elevator to that jockey club to sit at my usual table and examine Let It Ride one scene at a time, I wanted to talk to someone who's done this kind of thing before and pick his brain. And for that, there is no better person to talk to on this subject than Blake Howard. Blake is a movie critic who over the last few years has kind of perfected this exact thing. He started a podcast called One Heat Minute, which looked at the classic Michael Mann movie Heat, one minute at a time. And that is not a short movie. Over 160 episodes later, Blake was able to finish up One Heat Minute by having Michael Mann on as a guest to discuss the last scene. A very impressive accomplishment. Since then, he's moved on to other films like All the President's Men, and he does it all under the banner of what is now known as One Heat Minute Productions. I talked to Blake about where he came up with the idea to do this, dealing with potential burnout and fatigue, and of course, what he thinks about Let It Ride. Okay, so let me try that again. So where was it that you came up with this idea of looking at a movie minute by minute? So we're, we're starting off with Heat. So that first idea, I'm going to look at Heat, which I'm presuming is your favorite movie, and I'm going to look at it in the longest way possible. <laughs> uh, it's a funny, like, two-pronged question because I'd been thinking of projects, and I I know that people think about this a lot, which is there are always projects that fail. And very fortunately, I'd had several failures, not failures completely with podcasting before One Heat Minute, but I'd dabbled in certain ways. You know, I did a great show with my best friend, Maria Lewis, Pod Save Our Scream as well, one of my first kind of podcasts. Got a little bit of, uh, a little bit of kind of notoriety when we started that out in Oz like many, many moons ago. And I was kind of mentored by a great, Australian radio broadcaster Dale Sinden when we started. So like I learned how to do a proper radio movie show when I was working with him very early on in my career. But I've been thinking about a new project and I, instead of, Dan, thinking about what I wanted to do, I was stuck on what's working, you know, what's a format, what's this? And, oh, yeah. And I had had like a crazy uh, – um, uh, obsessive investigator, like mood board in my old office in my, our old place, um, a big wall where I was like putting up all these ideas and thinking about different things I could do. And 
And it just so happened that one night, like I took to, like I was out with two of my best friends, um, Garth Franklin, who's the editor of Dark Horizons, one of the true internet trailblazers, and another buddy of ours, Stu Coote, who is just one of the funnest, um, one of the funnest like buckets of cold water voices in the Sydney film community because he just kind of doesn't suffer fools. And we're having a few drinks together after a Sydney film festival screening. We'd had a ball together that night. And I was like, oh, I've got a couple of ideas for a podcast. And I... I gave them like 10 ideas and they all were, uh, <laughs> how can I say this, handily smashed into oblivion. <laughs> and the nicest way that they did that was like, you know, the line that I've said a few times now when I explained to people how this project sort of started was like, my friend Stu gave me a like, you know, the Goodwill Hunting kind of like road to Damascus moment talk. Like he like grabbed me. We are a bit like, we were a bit tiddly and he like grabbed me and he was like, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, I don't know. I'd been thinking about these and I thought they work. And he went, no, that's not what I'm asking you. I just said, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Like if this, this project is you, my man, what do you want to do? Like forget anyone else. You're not building it for someone else. This is yours. What do you want to do? And apologies for being crass, but I just said, I just want to fucking talk about heat every day. And he did the best thing. He liberated me, um, which was to say, I'd listen to that. And when he did that, it was like, oh, I could do that. So, you know, I'd been a burgeoning film critic in Oz a little bit. You know, I was like a baby. I was a, a little puppy film critic, if you like. And one of the things I'd been doing for many, many years is like every time I saw a trash movie, no matter how late it was, I didn't have kids then. So no matter how late it was, I'd come home from the movies and I'd throw on heat because I'm like, I need my faith reinvigorated in cinema. It's like my favorite movie. So I'd watched it thousands of times. I, When I was studying at university, I did a thesis on authorship and masculinity on Michael Mann. So like his work was so meant, like meant so much to me. And then I was like, oh, how do I actually do it? And then the idea like laser focused and the, the kind of microscope came became clear all this muddiness just like came clear it's heat and it was like how do i test myself to truly unpack this thing in a way that i can explain to people how perfect it is and so then you know the the star wars minute had existed i think there were a few other minute podcasts or a fair few others that had kind of had them the mode but I had a very distinct vision of what I wanted, which was I not only wanted to talk, have myself like gushing for hours about my favorite movie minute by minute and breaking it down. I really wanted to make it a campfire with which film critics and people that I admired and creatives could gather around. So, um, you know, it's funny, a good pun goes a long way to helping you kick off a show funnily enough. And I just was like, it just when one heat minute came up, it was like, oh, one heat minute. And I tested the theory. I, I, I recorded 15 episodes of heat one heat minute before we released a single one just to see if the concept worked. And when that, when I did that first couple of episodes, a few of them with Stu, my buddy who had inspired me um he like we got to like episode three and he goes i think there's like he just like sort of we pull stop recording he's like i think there's something in this 
And and I was like, yeah, I do too, because what it what happens is just the f- the laser focus on a specific moment of text that you read everything through, knowing what happens forward and back in the movie, and knowing what happens forward and back in man's career, and knowing what happens forward and back in these actors' careers. Man, it's a really liberating exercise um, to have a single focal point to to anchor yourself to. You, it's it's like a a laser pointer, and so yeah, it became this way of approaching it and looking at it and uh, yeah truly uh, unlocked for me what i believe i have potentially uniquely um to add to the kind of cultural conversation about films is that i i if if i truly see a masterpiece there's certain ingredients that resonate with me and have that rewatchability and i just i feel like that's the test of true like the true enduring power of a piece of art is that it stands up to that minute by minute scrutiny. I love that you went 15 before you released one. 15 before that one. Is, yeah. That is something. And when you start out and you're having your different guests because you rotate through a number of people uh, throughout this, really it's kind of an odyssey that you have, right, with heat. And... Did you have a, a set group of people in mind or did more people want to join in as you were going? And oh. once you start releasing them, all of a sudden other people are now interested. How does that go? Yes. As, as far as getting guests, people being interested. Well, so I've been part of the film community in Sydney for a long time. So when I started, it was just like I invited some of my friends at, at, to my house. Um, I can cook. So I thought I'll feed them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like uh, – there's a great line in Steven Spielberg's Munich, which I love, which is like, why do they make you team leader? And one of the guys says, because he knows how to make a really good brisket. And it's a really funny thing. Cause I just literally went guys, you know, come over, help me do this experiment, come to my place. Everyone can stay. And, um, my daughter was only little then I said, come over, stay, you know, see the bubba and we'll hang out. We'll have a big, big lunch. We'll have a huge dinner. We'll have drinks and, like just as an excuse to hang out, but instead of, you know, instead of groups of people just shooting the breeze on the balcony and, you know, talking and playing with Bubba and rotating in and out of conversations, I was just rotating people in and out of podcasts. And we, we recorded a bunch of these episodes. So I chose my closest friends uh, at the time to, to be part of that experimental part. And then what I never expected Dan happen is that like, you know, in my little community here in Sydney, like I'd always been gushing about heat and, you know, I had a few of my friends who like agreed that it was a good movie, etc. Um, but once it went out into the universe and started existing and people started to hear the format and to hear the dedication with which we were going to do it, you know, two episodes a week um, for, you know, over, over a year, almost two years to, to complete the whole project, um, it started to gain traction and I started to find the heat fanatics in the world and not just like people like me who were um who who were like just fans of it but genuine film creatives and artists started to hear the what we were doing and started to hear the genuine passion of not only me but definitely the guests that i was choosing at the time and it just started it gained sudden bursts of momentum so when i started seeing people talking about it i was just unafraid to say well you know i'd love you to be a part of the show like if you're a heat fan like for me it's like i'm finding i'm finding people that are speaking my language. And so it just firstly started organically growing and then incrementally larger and larger, you know, voices in the film community, creative people, uh, you know, artists 
industry, you know, people who work like, you know, the head of Universal Pictures Australasia, Mike Bard is a, is now a personal friend. Um, because of this, it was just, they started to see not only what we were doing, but how we were doing it and how, um, rich the conversation was and how passionate, like, unerring it was like I, I wasn't tiring I kept getting re-energized with every new person I spoke to and so then it just bloomed and bloomed and bloomed and you know it was probably 70 episodes in right before some few people started going is Michael Mann going to do this show and I was like <laughs> no he he well, I, all I would want is for him to hear about it I guess was my wildest aspiration at that time and then it just kept growing and growing and growing and then eventually it was like well if, if he does do it I only wanted to be on one show and that's the final episode. And, and then it just kind of grew. Like we started throwing that out there in the universe and, you know, with all those influential people eventually starting to come around to our show and the incredible actors and then creatives, you know, Dante Spinotti, Michael Mann's incredibly close collaborator of many years. He's cinematographer. Pasquale Buba, may rest in peace, was one of the editors of Heat. You know, we just started, you know, Bill Duke, the great Bill Duke from Predator, who worked with Michael Mann on Miami Vice episodes all those years ago as a director. Um, director of Deep Cover, one of my favorite movies, you know, that I've recently Excellent saw. Excellent movie. Excellent movie. Great director and just a great guy. Um, yeah, I just started getting, it started building this incredibly positive buzz. And, uh, and then, yeah, just eventually mounted 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 until we we broke the ceiling through through michael mann to his to you know through to michael mann for via his people via people who had spoken to him and interacted with him before and and then yeah we were able to end on a true fairy tale so did he hear about the podcast did people go to him and bring it up or did someone for on your end bring it up to him well I'm now very friendly with Bill Gabiri, who's one of the world's great film critics. He's mm-hmm. an editor, yeah. writer at, uh, at at Vulture slash New York Magazine. Um, one of the true legends of the game. Um, Village Voice King, RIP Village Voice. Um, Bill had been on the show like a few times. And he goes, <laughs> just one day I get a text, like weird hours because New York is like extremely different hours <laughs> to Sydney. I get this weird text at a weird time going, I, he goes, you know, we, he was talking to me on a previous episode that we recorded and then he goes, Michael Mann's going to do this show. Like he said, oh, he's doing it. And I'm like, Bill Gert, that's not nice for you to say, but you're like one of the world's best film critics and maybe one of the best interviewers of like the legends of American cinema that seem to like you talk to. And I'm like, that's awesome for you to say, but it's not easy for this little kid working out of Sydney, you know, to for that to happen. And Bill was like, no, I'm telling you, you know, this project is great. It's going to happen. Anyway, he texted me and said, I am interviewing Michael tomorrow for a piece for Vulture. He goes, I am going to bring the show up to him in person. And I'd heard of people that had spoken to him, even Michael Mann's daughter. We, We started following each other on social media and talking and, and things like that. And I had friends that knew him and were really close. And eventually um, and I'd even spoken to Dante and Dante had told Michael, I believe. And so I think tangentially he'd kind of heard of it, but like, it was always very abstract. Like he wasn't, it wasn't on his mm-hmm. true radar, but like Bilger, like said, 
not only you know interviewed him and he has a great deal of respect and for Bilger they talk a lot when, whenever Michael Mann's on any kind of press cycle for anything or any anniversary you know Bilger's like almost a, a, a staple um, because like I'm down to tell him and I go okay cool fine four in the morning my phone buzzes Australian mm-hmm. time and I look down and it's Bilger and he's like Michael Mann is going to do your show and I just was like, what? I couldn't believe it. I woke my wife <laughs> at the time. I woke her up. I was like, babe, look. You know, and we'd now had our second child in the in the course of the show. And uh, and I said, I just couldn't believe it. And so then, then it was just a matter of timing, like getting it all done. It was many, many months of him being in and out of projects. You know, Tokyo Vice was being scattered, very busy and incredibly busy mm-hmm. and and just prepared. And I think that once they saw all of these guests mounting that we'd had for the show, they knew that it wasn't like an ambush. It was just a gushy love letter. And, but also that it was serious, you know, it was a serious piece of film criticism, um, just the longest form possible. And, um, yeah, so it, it then became, uh, it then became, you know, I think the show realized my biggest aspiration for it, which was that Roger Ebert used to do this thing at a film festival in Colorado, actually just a festival in Colorado. It was called cinema interrupt us where he would play a film feature over many days and every time an audience member like said stop they'd stop the movie and discuss a frame discuss the scene discuss the actor discuss something and you know i think many i think over six days i think he did citizen kane but it kind of started to emerge as that kind of project and and so yeah then it was from there it was just like a waiting game and i knew about man coming on the show like many 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 months before i ever told anyone that it was going to happen oh wow okay and so and so then once it was locked it was you know the show ended up finishing in um, the 6th of july my son's first birthday and um sydney time and um i'd recorded with mr man you know weeks earlier a few weeks earlier um, and yeah. I premiered it at a live show that we did for the podcast. And, uh, and when that happened, you know, it was just the most incredible response for the show. So, and, and now you said that your enthusiasm kept growing and growing, which one of my questions was like, at no point did you ever get tired of talking about it? Did there was no burnout at like minute 97. It's like, oh my God, again, that, that never happened. Never. Uh, I I did record a few out of order towards the end because I started getting different individuals and people I was really excited to talk to who were like, oh, I would love to talk about this minute specifically because that meant more to them. Yeah, and sure. The, the, the process was I then got to, you know, I think it's really, I think some of people's favorite movie conversations are when you get different opinions and different critical voices and sometimes when you read the reviews of your great movies that you love the great voices on how the movie truly resonates with people differently is something special and so there was not always necessarily people who loved it and gushed about it sometimes it was people who didn't like it or sometimes people they didn't they'd only ever watched one episode or one one time i'd ask them to watch heat especially for the for the show and so it was just me continually being able to embrace looking at it through new eyes. So it was by definition, it was a very uh, rich process. The, the, I was never tired about it, but once we knew that the show was going to end as we were leading up to Mr. Man's episode, um, I felt like I had definitively said 
almost everything I could have possibly wanted to say. And I remember there was a Sydney film, uh, Sydney filmmaker and, and lecturer at the time at a, a film school in Sydney, um, Michael McLennan. He was a really lovely guy. And he's done, a, I think he did two episodes of One Heat Minute, but he was on one particularly. And it was getting close to the crescendo. And he's like, oh, Blake, if you ever want to do a bonus series just on the soundtrack. And this was like maybe four or five weeks before it came out. And I was like, Michael, there's no bonus series. There's almost nothing that needs to be said about this movie. Like it's been said, like it's <laughs> anything that can be said right now almost has been said and it's been said. And I can say this with the greatest pride. It's been said on this show. Every take about all of the ways that this movie means something has been said. And I've got the luxury and anyone who's listened to the show, I now have a choir of voices. I watched that movie with like a kind of weird internal monologue that is the voices of every person I've ever spoken to with me. I'm like carrying the story. This movie's, you know, a movie, movies are dreams, you know, great stories are dreams. My friend Jordan Harper is an incredible author um, who was on One Heat Minute many times. And he writes this great newsletter called Welcome to the Hammer Party, all about writing. And he talk, talks about like the great goal of any piece of art for you as a writer or a film, whether it's a film or a television show is like maintaining a dream. And I feel like I've, for, for heat, I mean, I have, I have the most undiluted dream of this movie when I watch it because I watch it and I see it through the eyes of Manola Dargis and Matt Solazites and Bilga Ibiri and Jordan Harper and Joe Lynch and Dante Spinotti. And, and I see it with this laser focused view of, of the way, all the ways uh, that this movie can have a profound impact on people. So I see it like that. And so I remember when Michael asked me that question, I was like, no, I don't. I've, it's two <laughs> years, man. It's nearly a hundred at that stage. It was nearly 180 episodes. And so I was like, there's not really much more I want to say. And then I always in my mind knew that like, if some incredible guest, whether it was one of the stars of the film or, you know, an incredible filmmaker or something reached out. And in fact, couple of weeks before the show ended, Guillermo del Toro reached out and was like, love the show and this and that. And I was like, oh, Guillermo, I'd love to get you on the show. And he's like, yeah, I would love to too. And, you know, the maestro was in pre and post-production of like three or four projects as you would expect. And so it took so long for that interview to actually happen. But I was like, when that happened, it was just a, a lovely bonus. So we've had some bonus episodes you know, Xander mm -hmm. Berkeley and, and, and obviously Guillermo being, being huge ones there. Michael Madsen. Oh, sorry, not Michael Madsen, rather. Um, uh, oh, Tom Sizemore, sorry. Um, I kept, I wanted to go say Michael Torito and I'm like, no, that's the character, Tom Sizemore. Um, and so we've had some amazing episodes that have come up there and like as bonuses, uh, but I really, you know, uh, the show is definitive. I'm, I'm, pr I, I, I'm pretty proud to say that, you know, when you read some of my, great people that I admire when they do the definitive review of something mm -hmm. or the definitive exegesis about that, that film. Um, I feel like we were able to be definitive. So since you've completed that project, you've done a number of other ones, right? So there's been all the president's men and, uh, inherent vice and, and a number of them. You've kind of taken different approaches. Uh, like all the president's men was back. It was minutes. And then you've done, 
you've broken it up sometimes like all right the zodiac for example i know it's, it's 24 we're gonna do 24 we're gonna name them after the zodiac signs so you and and that one is really interesting because you've went to sort of like a, a round table uh, with that yes right you've got like a number of people coming in you've got music going on in that one like i i really kind of like how that one feels a little different than the others and i know you have Midnight Run coming up as well. One yes. of my all-time favorite movies. Seen it dozens of times. Yes. So very excited about that. Um, so with all that in mind, my question to you, Blake, maybe the reason why I'm talking to you right. is because I'm going to do this, right? Yeah. I'm going to take my favorite movie, which by the way, I've noticed most of the movies that you've done are generally like very heavy, thinky, deep movies that you can appreciate on multiple levels. Now, I'm looking at the movie Let It Ride, which is about Love that movie. A, a, a day at the racetrack that uh, nobody watched when it came out in 1989, <laughs> did not make the top 10 the week it was released, right? It, I think it's 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I watched it last year. It was, I've got a Blu-ray of it from Imprint Films in Australia. That I have that one. It's fantastic. Um, so anyway, what advice would you give to me, to someone who's starting out on a similar path? What would you suggest I do? Um, first thing is, the first advice I give to anyone about any podcast that they do is, and, and this is not a negative, you must have an unhealthy relationship with whatever you're talking about. So I have an unhealthy relationship with the movies that I'm obsessed with. Like I watch them a lot. Like when people say, how many times have you seen here? I'm like more than 200, no question. And they're like, how? And I'm like, well, every episode I watched 10 minutes before the minute we were talking about, 10 minutes after the episode we were talking about. If I talked to that person before, I listened to the minute that we talked about before. And so, you know, in a revolving rotation out of 180 times, I'm watching 20 minutes times 180. Count how many minutes that is. It's a lot, right? Like in a short, it's a lot, like almost... 3,600 minutes of me watching the movie in different weird and protracted ways, plus, you know, watching it at least, and I'm saying this conservatively, at least once a month for the decade leading up to it, at least. It's fairly insane. Yes. Yeah. So that's insane. That's a big yes. relationship. And and so it's one is an unhealthy relationship, and two, you need the project to tell you how to find its voice. And so some projects that's really apparent from the beginning and other times it's not. So, for example... We did a little victory lap after one heat minute, which was the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans. And I wanted it to just be shorter. And that show very much sort of prescribed to, you know, just laser focusing in on the last 12 minutes and all the elements that lead into that and why it was really great. And, and then that, that kind of works, but in increment vice, I really built that show from the ground up with Travis Woods, who's a, an amazing film critic in the United States and a really close friend. And I, I knew he had an unhealthy relationship with Inherent Vice and I wanted that to sound like this kind of like what I imagine like a 70s party would hang, have like a, it had, a, I needed it to have a vibe. I needed it to have texture. And so that was one that like I experimented on. And then at the same time I was doing that, we were doing uh, all the President's Minutes, which then became a dialogue, a discourse dialogue with the American political system in the lead up to the 2020 election. And so the show then became this comparative analysis of politics and, and, 
and over time and, and, and really just like a dialogue on change, you know, how much had changed, how much had we regressed, how much had political cycles influenced the way we talk about, you know, how the, the, the way that it had kind of sh- been shaped in art and how much we've been lied to about progress. And so I let the shows become their own voice. And for me, why some of the shows have really changed is, you know, my friend Maria Lewis and I did Josie and the Podcats, which was all her. Like, she was so amazing. But I, we wanted to create something like an audio documentary. And so in that show, I stretched our production to new heights. We were living together in the early parts of the pandemic um, and we worked really closely together. So I, I worked really hard on the voice of that show. And so that show then unlocked for me the ability to it's minute by minute podcast is one definite thing, but I then started now when I think of a project, I think about, I think about the entire thing. I think about how I want it. It wasn't just like that. It, certain movies don't deserve a minute by minute podcast. That's absolutely not the case. You know, it's more that can we say everything that needs to be said in that way? And so with Zodiac, you know, I did like 60 interviews for that show hours of interviews yeah knowing that 24 episodes were going to come around and how that would then be shaped kind of let each episode try and have its own voice and its own thematic arc and 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 very you know partially scripted and then organic and flow between those two poles and so that i feel like now as i've evolved that is where i'm going with some of what i want to do and i know that some things are more like organic and interviewee and now show Miami Nice, which is kind of all you know, about Miami Vice from Michael Mann, but also um, very confessional in a true podcast sense. It's like you kind of need to first have the unhealthy relationship and then you need to listen to what the film needs. What is the texture of the movie that you're talking about? And and in that way, I've been really aspiring to a kind of like, what is the soundscape of this thing? What's the, what's the lived experience I want people to have? Um, uh, in the production of that. And so for me, that's why, you know, Zodiac's been the most aspirational and also mm. in the, the most difficult um, because I, you know, it's such a movie that I admire so much and Finch is a filmmaker I admire so much. And, you know, there have been, you know, Robert Graysmith has been involved and Jamie Vanderbilt and, and John Carroll Lynch and Donald Logue, all people who starred in the movie, plus all the incredible critical and creative voices that have been on the show too. So it's, it's it's like that's my advice is unhealthy relationship and then when you think of that movie or you think of that topic what what do you hear what does it feel like what's the sensory element and starting to lean into when i'm doing this how do i get it how do i how do i get it how do i get people to feel the texture of the thing and so yeah that's why zodiac has its own score like i've got a Mm-hmm. you know a 12 part soundtrack that's eventually going to go on our one hit minute patreon of all the tracks that i had written <laughs> for, for. i love that what an idea yeah yeah, yeah it almost feels like um maybe you've gone with the idea of the newspaper right the zodiac chronicle like it kind of has almost like an audio newspaper feel that that's what i kind of get out of it when i listen to it maybe because that title is there you know that a newspaper is definitely a part of the story yes and yeah, like like your narration that, that pops in here and there. Yeah, that that's kind of how that one uh, works to me. All right, so last question for you, Blake. Yes. Please give me your opinion, on, like your best detailed opinion of Let It Ride. Ah, uh, Let It Ride. It's 
Let It Ride is just chaos. That's why I love Let It Ride. It's it's the the chaotic feeling of literally having a laissez-faire attitude about <laughs> about your life, like about the things in your life, the things that are important. That's what gambling, you know, Let It Ride, you know, is in that great tradition, you know, people, you know, talk been talking about on the internet recently, uncut jams um for many reasons. Um but, you know, uncut gems or something like that is like Degenerate gamblers are some of the funnest people to watch in a movie because it's like watching a car crash slowly sometimes, very Mm -hmm. slowly. And so one of the things I love about Let It Ride is is chaos, that chaotic energy that it feels, and Dreyfus sort of encapsulates that chaotic energy. But I love the the tactile nature of it. I love that you can feel – the grubby people who haven't washed their clothes, who all know each other, who kind of like all their all their clothes are like crimped and, you know, they've just, they've either slept in them and they've kind of like tried to straighten themselves up to look like they're kind of semi-reputable, but you can almost feel the smell of the clothes. <laughs> and and so I think Let It Ride, when I think of Let It Ride, I think of that. I think of these these people who smell like stale beer and who smell like smoke that is just hovering and ruminating in all of these different um, spaces that they live in. And and I feel like it's just people who are just on the ragged edge. Like they're making decisions purely on impulse and purely on the now. And there's no, there's no self-preservation there. So I, when I think of let it ride, that's, that's that kind of energy that I like. And it's also, you know, those kind of movies can be, you know, super extreme and dark about like the, the, the inner recesses of, you know, <laughs> the human impulses, but let it ride is not that it's kind of, it's got all that. It's got all that framing as the device, mm-hmm. but it's also unbelievably fun. Like that's the other yes. thing. It is, it's really fun. And so, yeah, I, I, I think let it ride's a great project to do that. And you can have a lot of fun. And like, if I was, if I was ever, um, you know, in depth in the production of that, I'd be like, how do I make, how do I make these conversations feel like those bars and how do I make them feel like that restaurant that Dreyfus, you know, squeezes his way into and how do I make it feel like the side of a racetrack? How do I, how do I get the audience in to feel the chaotic joy of the movie? And so, yeah, I really like let it ride um, for all those reasons and, and the, just the profound absurdity of it all, um, especially as it, as it crescendos. I, I, I like it a lot and I think about it a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Jockey Club. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dan Delgado. A big thank you to my guest, the very busy Blake Howard. You can check out one of Blake's many deep dives into movies by visiting oneheatminute.com. There will be a link in the show notes. Our theme music is from Epidemic Sound, and our cover art is by Sean Labrie. If you enjoyed this episode, and I certainly hope you did, then you can feel free to leave us a nice review wherever you can. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. Or better yet, just tell another Let It Ride fan about it. Now, these reviews may or may not help the show get noticed, but it will warm my cold, dead heart. You can contact me if you need through email. It's dan at moviemaker.com. I am on Twitter at underscore Dan underscore Delgado. Or even better, I'm on the Repod app, which is a great way to not only listen to podcasts, but to interact with podcast hosts. You can find it in your app store. 
download it, put it on your phone, come by and say hello to me and a bunch of other podcasters that are on there as well. Our next episode drops on Wednesday, which is just a few days away. And if it's past Wednesday, then it's already out now. This has been Dan Delgado for The Jockey Club. And remember, you might be walking around lucky and not even know it.